0: All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. I'd like you to uh, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 28. Wow, what an amazing week uh, we've had here at River City Baptist Church. Last Sunday, of course, was Easter, and we had a record uh, attendance uh, in all of our campuses. Super exciting. We started a Spanish church. Uh, last Sunday that had 15 guests, I believe it was, and seven people accepted Christ uh, in our Spanish church. Congratulations to Hector and Cheryl and all the hard work they've been doing. And now the real work is beginning with following up with people. And let's keep praying for them. Remember, every Sunday now, at 10 o'clock our service, and then 1130 they'll be having the Spanish church. And I'm so excited about that. We had, uh, we had 290 people in English, uh, both in our children and in our worship service here, which is just uh, an exciting day for us. And in Mayport, it had 45 in church uh, for their Easter Sunday. And so when you put it all together, it was just a spectacular day. Now, I know, I, I am well aware... Uh, ...that numerical uh, bodies do not make a church. I know I know that, okay. But it is also very exciting uh, to see more people coming, more people hearing, more people being saved. We'll baptize at the end of this service. And I've been talking to people this week that accepted Christ at our Easter service. And it's just a really, really a great time uh, to be here. So uh, just kind of get geared up because some great and exciting days... Are ahead. Also, we're going to be in Matthew 28 today, and this has been a little bittersweet for me, but next Sunday will be my last message uh, in the Life of Christ series. It almost took us three years Uh, to get through. This Sunday we're going to talk about the Great Commission. Next Sunday we're going to talk about the ascension of our Lord into heaven and what it means for us today and what it means for his ongoing life and ministry. Now let me, I want to kind of whet your appetite for what's coming the rest of the year at River City in the pulpit, okay? And there's two things that are happening that are going to take us all the way from basically May all the way through Christmas and that is first of all this summer we're going to be doing a study on the minor prophets, okay? Now the minor prophets are those books in the back of the Old Testament that you know nothing about, okay, for the most part. Okay, now many of you maybe have took, taken a class or studied them. A lot of times you're reading them, at, you know, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Nahum, and Habakkuk. That's not a cuss word, okay. That's a, that's a book of the Bible, Habakkuk, okay. And so we're going to go all the way from Hosea to Malachi. One, one sermon on each of those books throughout this summer and I'm going to hope to teach you a part of the Bible that you may be very unfamiliar with and to teach one major life lesson that we can learn from each of those books and when we're done, hopefully you're going to be able to, when you see that book, you're going to know what it's about you're going to know who it was written to, you're going to know uh, uh, the basic message and, and I don't know about you, I, I actually, and maybe I'm just weird but I enjoy parts of the Bible that I don't understand very well and you say, are there parts of the Bible that you don't understand very well? Yes! Uh, I have an earned doctorate in biblical studies, and I've been teaching the Bible for 20 years. And there are parts of the Bible still that I sometimes wrestle with and don't understand. But I'm working on it. You should be working on it uh, to have a deeper uh, knowledge of Scripture. And then in August of this year, we're going to tackle uh, the book of Revelation. And it is going to be exciting, okay? So you're not going to want to miss uh, this, this whole series, really starting in May all the way through the end of the year, we, we're going to be tackling some challenging uh, topics, particularly when we get to Revelation stuff everybody wants to know about. Has anybody read the news recently? Anybody wondering if Jesus is maybe coming like next Sunday, okay? And so, I mean, really, we're, guys, look. We're living on the edge of the end times. You have to believe that. And if you don't know anything about it, I invite you to come over that series. We're going to be looking at the the very last book of the Bible and what the Bible says is going to happen when it's all said and done. Done. Okay. Here's the good news. Jesus knows the end of the story. Jesus wrote the end of the story, and Jesus wins in the end of the story. So it's a it's actually a very encouraging study. But I know many people are intrigued by that. So hang with me here. We're going to do this message. We're going to finish next week, and then we're going to jump right into Hosea uh, on on April 30th, and we're just going to keep on rolling. Okay, and uh, it's exciting times. All right. So Matthew chapter 28. We're going to begin our reading in verse number 18. This is God's word. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, the church on a mission. The church on a mission. These are essentially the final words of Jesus to his disciples. Uh, It's mentioned in every one of the uh, gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even repeated once again in the book of Acts chapter number one. Five different times. In the very last moments of Jesus' life here on this earth, before he ascended to his Father, he gives out this, what we call, Great Commission. It has been well known, well established, and well followed throughout the centuries since the time of Christ that the church was to be a center to carry out God's mission in this world. And God's mission in this world, very plainly, is to make disciples of all peoples and all nations for all times. That we would go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature and that people would begin following Jesus Christ Then we would baptize them and mark them as disciples and then we would start teaching them how to follow Jesus with the rest of their lives. That's why we're here. This is a Absolute crystal clear commission that came from God obviously the apostles clearly understood this because that's exactly what they did you read the book of Acts and they carried out this commission with their whole lives and now we come into the 21st century where as history has proven as the church goes the church starts as a, as a mission and it becomes a movement and then unfortunately it becomes a monument and then ultimately it becomes a mausoleum because churches can if they're not careful have a shelf life. Now, now the church, capital C, does not have a church life, a shelf life. Jesus said, "I will build my church." He is going to continue to advance his church throughout the ages until he comes. The question is, is River City Baptist Church still going to be on the front line with Jesus advancing the gospel when he does come? Several years ago, In the 1940s, the United States proposed a new ship called the SS United States. It was going to cost $78 million and would be at that time the largest ship ever created as well as the fastest ship ever created. The plan was to use this ship predominantly as a troop carrier carrying upwards of 10,000 soldiers into battle at a time. The maiden voyage took place 12 years later in 1952. However, it did not take its maiden voyage as a troop carrier. Rather, it serviced as a luxury liner transporting wealthy uh, commuters between the continents. and did that until 1969. For 17 years, this boat operated carrying people, but not operated as it was originally intended. And since 1996, that ship has been docked on the Delaware River just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And every time I preach in the Philadelphia area, I see the ship as I drive up Interstate 95 from the south of the city where the airport is. It is a testament to what happens when ships or churches do not follow original intent. Can I remind you this morning that the church Of Jesus Christ is not a luxury liner. It is a troop carrier. We are not here to be entertained. We are not here to uh, scratch a religious itch or to satisfy some uh, weakness in our conscience because we're not spiritual. This church, this church, one of many thousands of churches worldwide is here to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to a world that obviously and desperately needs to hear who he is. And it's not just the church corporately that needs to hear this message, it's the church individually that needs to hear this message because after all, we are the body. You are a member of the body. You are a part of this operation. So so the commission that is for the church corporately is obviously for the church individually. And so I'm preaching this to you, not that you would leave necessarily uh, this auditorium today thinking, yeah, our church needs to really be about making disciples. I would hope that you would leave rather thinking, I need to be about making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this classic passage, I think my favorite of all of them, Matthew chapter 28, I want you to see three ways in which the church of Jesus Christ fulfills its great commission. Number one, I want you to see this. We go in recognition of God's authority. We go in recognition of God's authority. Let me tell you what the bottom line is, folks. The bottom line of the great commission is this. The name of Jesus is to be praised and proclaimed in every nation, in every corner of the universe. He is worthy, and he is the God of this entire world. And because he is, his name should be propagated and made big in every place because he is worthy of it all. And in verse number 18, Jesus declares this to us when he says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus says, all authority, meaning every bit of the authority, As someone once wisely said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all the earth. The word authority is not just power, because that's a very specific word. In fact, if you use an older translation of the Bible, uh, you'll see the word power there. And, and, And it's a great word, but it's not exactly the meaning of what is being said here. Authority is a much better word that is chosen. Power means ability. Authority means jurisdiction with the ability. So power is what God can do. Authority is God's right to exercise what he can do. It's one thing to have power. It's another thing to have authority to exercise your power as you wish and where you wish. Similar to an authority uh, in in a football or basketball game, a referee, who although the players have the power, the referees have the authority And what we learn here in this text is that Jesus has authority over all the earth. All authority, watch this, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There is not a place in the universe or the heavens over the universe where Jesus Christ does not rule and reign. He is the authority of it all. And Matthew's been building a case for the authority of Jesus all through his book. For instance, in Matthew chapter 7 verse 29, they recognize him as one who taught as having authority. In Matthew's gospel chapter 8 and verse 13, he is in this encounter with the centurion. The man who was a ruler over a hundred soldiers in the Roman army. And Jesus, he comes to Jesus and says, my, my son needs to be healed. And Jesus says, uh, uh, I will come to your house and heal your son. And the man says, you don't need to come. All you need to do is say the word. And then he made this statement. He said, because I'm a man that has authority. And I say to this person, do this, and this person, do this, and this person, do this, and they do it. And Jesus then marvels and said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. What was Jesus actually saying there? He was saying, you get it. You get that I have authority over everything. I don't even need to come to your house and touch that boy because I have authority over every creature in every place in all times and I can cast out demons and I can raise the dead because I have all Power. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10 verse number 1, Jesus actually deputizes his own disciples and gives them authority to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Isn't that amazing? Not only does Jesus have authority, but has so much authority that he can deputize his men and women to exercise that authority in the preaching of the gospel. Now, folks, let me say this. How could Jesus make such a claim here in verse number 18? And the answer is this. He can make this claim with authority because of what has just happened. I mean, what did we look at just last Sunday? We looked at his resurrection from the dead. Now listen, the one who kicked out the ends of his grave and walked out alive after three days, conquering death, conquering hell, securing eternal life for the entire universe, says to all of us, I have all authority. Now, if he was still lying in a tomb or bandaged up in a hospital somewhere, he would not be able to say that. But because he defeated death, he can say... I have all authority. The greatest proof that he is allowed to have this authority is that he was alive to make the claim. Now, I've been doing some interesting studies over the last few weeks, some of it unrelated to the church. Just uh, I teach some Bible college classes, and, and just I've, 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 in a kind of a fresh way, been studying some Old Testament history. Now, this may not be uh, the most exciting thing to you, but it is to me, so bother me while I share it with you, okay? So in the Old Testament, what happens at the end of the actual story, that what we call the narrative, is, is two, two major things happen. The northern tribes of Israel get deported into Assyrian captivity. The southern tribes of Judah get deported into Babylonian captivity. And then, you, then you start seeing what we call post-exile books. Just please hang with me, I'm going somewhere, okay? Books of the Bible that occur after that happens which are like, like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And then there's several prophets like Malachi, Haggai, Zechariah that fit into this whole story. And, and basically what you see is you see what happens when God, watch this, when God allowed a kingdom like Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to enter in, keyword allowed, God allowed the Babylonians to take over Israel and to deport them, Right? And then you pick up the story in Daniel. Daniel is quickly becoming one of my very favorite books. And it's not because of the lion's den. I mean, that's a cool story. And so is Daniel chapter 3. But do you want to know what the main message of Daniel is? The main message of Daniel is this. God is in charge of this entire universe. And you want to know how he does it? He does it several ways through the book of Daniel. For instance, in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a big giant statue. You know, it's got a head of this and a chest of this and, 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 and a trunk of this and feet of this. And Nebuchadnezzar cannot figure out the dream. He doesn't even know what his dream was. He's going to come in and interpret the dream. And then he tells Daniel, or Daniel tells him what the dream is. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the great king. You're the head here. You're in charge of the universe. And he even tells him in Daniel chapter 2, the king of all kings allowed you to be king. And then he says this, then the chest here is the Persian kingdom. They've not come yet, but they're getting ready to come. In fact, they do come in Daniel chapter 5, and they destroy the city of Babylon, and they take over for the Babylonian kingdom. And then he says, after them, there's gonna be another kingdom, and that's gonna be the Grecian kingdom. You ever heard of Alexander the Great? Yeah, he's talked about in the Old Testament even though he's never written about in the Old Testament. And did you know before Alexander the Great ever ruled this world, God told Daniel to tell Nebuchadnezzar there's coming a guy named Alexander the Great and he's going to rule the world three kingdoms after you're gone. And then he said this, and there's going to be a fourth kingdom. That fourth kingdom is going to be the Roman Empire. And during the Roman Empire, there's going to be the one Come on, the one that's going to come into the Roman Empire and he's going to destroy this entire statute. That person is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody better help me up here. I'm starting to feel warm up here today, okay? What is happening here? He's saying, look, you're a king, Nebuchadnezzar. You're a great king, in fact, but you're going down. I set you up and you're going down. Then there's going to come Cyrus, king of Persia, and he's going to be a great king, but I'm going to set him up and I'm going to tear him down. Then there's going to come Alexander the Great, and he's going to be like the greatest king of all, but he's just a puppet because I'm going to set him up and I'm going to tear him down. And then there's going to come Rome, and Rome is going to have Caesar, but I'm going to set Caesar up, and I'm going to tear Caesar down because at the end of the day, there's only one king, and it's King Jesus, and he rules over it all. That's why it says in Daniel chapter 2, in verse number 37, to whom the God of heaven has given you your kingdom. That's why in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, it says to the end that the living may know that the most high God rules the kingdoms of men. Come on, Daniel chapter 5, verse 21, until you know that the most high God rules and he sets over it whomever he wants to. Come on, Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His kingdom is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom has one that will not be destroyed. What does it say? And it's saying, look, there's only one king when this is all said and done. And it is King Jesus. And you say, well, it sure doesn't look like he's king right now. And you know what? In some ways, it doesn't. Pastor Hector sent me this encouraging text message last night. I think he was just trying to fire me up. <laughs> Washington State passed a bill this week. Allowing the state to take children away from their parents that do not consent to their child's gender transition surgeries. State one of 50 coming soon to a state near you. Now, you say, well, we've got the Santa. Listen, friend, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Governors come. And governors, and I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you're going to watch too much Fox News. You're going to watch too much Newsmax. You're going to watch too much CNN, whatever you would do that. And you watch too much of this and you watch too much of that. And you're going to be, start to wobble a little bit. And you're going to start to wonder who's really in control. And I'm here to tell you. I am here to tell you right now who is in control of it all. And is the Lord Jesus Christ. My challenge to you would be to make sure you get on the right side of this thing. Before it's all said and done. Because one day he will rule and reign. Listen to me. With or without you. He has all authority. And when it's all Said and done, the one who's already wrote the script has already told us how it's going down. So hang in there child of God. Listen to me. Don't you walk out of this church with all that negative Look, I get so tired of people saying stuff. I'm not even on Facebook anymore. Thank God. It's like the greatest thing I've ever did in my life, which is get away from all of it. But I will tell you, I see so many people bemoan and share and post and, and whine and whimper around like you're somehow defeated because this happened and this government did this and oh my goodness we have this. Are you kidding me? Joe Biden came. He will go. Trump came. Trump went. Reagan came. Reagan went. They all came, they all went And while they came and went There was somebody over all of them Ruling it all So think about how that applies to your witnessing Are you kidding me? Man, you should shoot out of here And say, are you kidding me? We serve the one who has authority Over all nations, in all places, in every way That's who we preach Number one We go in recognition of his authority Number two We go in obedience to his command. We go in obedience to his command. There we go. Let's kick it one more here. We go in obedience to God's command. If not, just take it down. In verse number 19, the commands are given. In verse number 19, it it tells us what we are to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There are so many ways to to illustrate this, to to dice this up, to uh, outline it. So let me give you several. I mean, he tells us we are to mobilize, we're to go. We are to evangelize, we're to teach. We are to baptize, and then we are to catechize. I like that one. We are to mobilize, evangelize, baptize, and catechize. But what is he essentially telling us to do? He's telling us that there are essentially three elements to our witness, okay? And and let me give them to you real quick, and I'll work through them. We are to make disciples, we are to mark disciples, and we are to mature disciples. That's what we are supposed to do. So Christians have been called by God to involve themselves on this, make disciples. That's what he says at the beginning of verse number 19. We are to make disciples of all nations, To make a disciple in the New Testament meant to learn from and become like one. Specifically, it was spoken of of the rabbis... And rabbis would have followers, or they would literally call them disciples. And these disciples would learn from their rabbis. They would become like their rabbis. Then they would teach others to follow the teachings of their rabbis. This is exactly what Jesus has called us to do. We are to encourage people to believe in Jesus, belong to Jesus, and become like Jesus. That's what we are to do with our lives. Followers of Jesus help other people to follow Jesus. That's what we do. So here's a question for you. And I'm not trying to get in your business, I'm just trying to get in your business. Who are you helping to follow Jesus right now? Is there any, could you name any single person? I'm not asking, I'm not saying you have a, little, a little, little neighborhood Bible study with all your already Christian friends. Who are you right now working on, praying for, talking to, sharing with, guiding along that they will also follow Jesus? Now I want to get real personal, real quick. Please just let me say this, and understand the spirit which I say it. I say it to myself. If you are not making disciples, please listen very carefully. There are only two possible explanations, and I hope you all take this to heart. One, you are not a disciple. Period. End of the story. You're just not one, or two, at best. You're a disobedient one. I and mean, there's no other way to dice this, guys. I'd like to be nicer. I'd like to, I'd like to be a little more encouraging about this. But there's, you know, it's kind of like you're either doing it or you're not. And if you're not, guys, we, we have got to make disciples a priority in our lives. There's no other way to look at it. Who am I praying for? Who am I witnessing to? Who am I inviting Who am I nurturing? Who am I having coffee with? Who am I answering questions for? Who am I I helping become more like Jesus Christ? And if I'm still scratching my head three or four minutes into this little discourse, then that's a real problem, guys. It's a problem if you're a teenager in this room. It's a problem if you're the oldest person in this room. It's a problem for everybody in between. We should be making disciples. And then we should be marking disciples. He says here, not only should you teach all nations, you should also, watch this, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. After a person is saved, this is an order here. Do not miss this. This is a divine order. Once a person has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, then, T-H-E-N, after that, they are to be baptized. Now listen very carefully. I know there are people out there, and this is a very, quote, unquote, quasi-religious city. Almost every, there has virtually not been an adult that I have not talked to personally about their faith in God. Listen, that has not said to me something very similar to this. I was baptized when I was a kid. Guys, You, if you got baptized as a child, that's really good if... You got baptized as a child after you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Otherwise, you took a bath. Because being baptized doesn't save you. And I believe there are men and women even perhaps in this very room right here where I am preaching today that you are actually looking to some baptism as the reason you think you're going to heaven. Baptism has never, will never save anyone. Baptism is what you do to display to the universe that you have already accepted Jesus Christ. It's a testimony. It's a witness. So what do we believe about baptism? We believe baptism is creedal. Meaning we believe baptism happens upon somebody's profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's why after the service today, we'll baptize a young lady who got saved last Sunday at this church. And I'm thankful for that. Praise God for that. She is saying today, when she comes to get baptized, I'm not getting saved today. I've already been saved. I'm just now confessing to my church and to my Lord and to my family and friends that I have been saved. It's called creedal baptism. It's also communal baptism, meaning we believe that baptism takes place in the community of faith, the church. We believe that it is public. We believe that it is in a gathering. We do not go out in private and baptize people in their backyards in their pool where there's no buddy to give a witness to. Friends, to get baptized means you are sharing a testimony to God and through the church and for friends and family that I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back baptism is visible that is people should see it and people should understand what it means baptism is pictorial that means it is to demonstrate that we believe in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ this is why we don't sprinkle people this is why we don't throw water at people this is why we take people and we put them under the water it's called baptism by immersion we put them under the water signifying that Jesus died and was buried in a tomb and then come on then we pick them up out of the water just like Jesus was raised up out of the grave the third day that's why we baptize it is absolutely critical to the mission of any church and folks I've been in churches where there are, there are, there are Christmas decorations filling up one used baptistries, and it is an absolute atrocity it is not supposed to be the way it is it's supposed to be regular and ongoing when a church is on mission when a church is reaching people for Christ people are going to come and get baptized because that's what you do after you get saved right. and if you've never been baptized friend, I'm baptized today just jump on in with us I got a towel for you There is no reason to not be baptized if you have become a follower of Jesus Christ. And then we are to mature disciples. We are to teach, watch this, teach them all the things that Jesus taught us. Now, I know that there's challenges out there with with people and subjects of legalism and stuff like this. Let me tell you one thing you don't have to even question. If Jesus taught it to his disciples... We should absolutely be living it. Right. Amen. And I would go so far to even say that the purpose of the epistles is to explain and further detail what Jesus taught the apostles. And so when you start with the words of Jesus and you go through the epistles, you are, you are seeing okay the, the scope of obedience and discipleship that God definitely wants you to follow. This is not a lecture on Old Testament theology, and so I'm not gonna take time to do it, but just suffice it to say, there is a clear path of Jesus in discipleship, and it definitely begins with the words of Jesus, just like verse 19 says, and I believe it carries through the New Testament, and I believe things that took place in the Old Testament either pictured Jesus or were fulfilled in Jesus, uh, or, or were actualized in Jesus, and so we don't go back and follow Old Testament laws for sake of sanctification. We now follow the words of Jesus and all the fulfillment of everything that happened in the Old Testament, And then we carry it through in the epistles and we follow what Jesus intends us to follow. So argue that all you want to, friend. But here's what I know. Obeying Jesus is not legalism. Well, the amens died out now. You know what's interesting about this sermon? There's been a couple times the word obedience is getting thrown out there. and People get tight-lipped about that. People struggle about that. There's nothing to struggle with, friends. We are followers of Jesus, which means he leads, you follow, not you lead, he follows. And if he's not Lord, then you won't follow him. Do you think our goal in this church is to see people get baptized and to sign some card or baptismal certificate and that's the end of the story for them? No, that's just the beginning. Now we begin to teach and we begin to encourage what it means to mature in your faith. And there's so many of you I'm looking at and just rejoicing even as I look at you at the progress of your faith and the advancement of what God has done in your life and how he's taken you from that moment of salvation and baptism. I'm looking at Liz over there and I'm looking at so many of you that have re- that have come to Christ in this church and you've been baptized. I was just talking to Dave just, just this morning right before church and he was telling me about how God has so transformed him since just a few years ago when he got saved. The first time I met this guy right here, some of you are new, it's so just bother me for a second. This guy right here on the third, the first time I ever Met him in my life. He looked at me and said, I just want you to know, preacher, I'm never gonna get baptized in that baptistry. (laughs) Well, good good to meet you too, Dave. And then his wife kept praying for him, kept witnessing to him, and it wasn't too long before Dave accepted Jesus Christ, followed in baptism, and has literally his life transformed by his own testimony for the service. That's what happens. That's what happens. You get saved, you get baptized, and then you grow in your faith, and Jesus changes your life. And he does not change your life existentially. He does not change your life out there in some theoretical world where you sit around sipping coffee, talking about all these deep things. He changes your life with leather boots and jeans and Carhartt shirts on as you go out and follow him and allow him to do the work of God in your heart. That's how this happens. So let's follow Jesus and let's teach others to do the same. The final thing we see is this. We not only go in obedience to this command, we finally go in assurance of his presence. Verse number 20, teaching them to observe all things, whatever that I have commanded you. I love this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. There is our great encouragement and motivation to continue to go. Jesus has left us with a job, but he has not left us alone. How can you go out and share the gospel and serve God in difficult days like this? You do it because you know God is with you In in, in the most direct, clear, personal way. He's not just with us generally. He's actually with you. And when you go to share the gospel with people, you can be assured of his promised presence because he said he's going to go with you. I remember several years ago, my son Brent went on his first trip with me. Uh, out of town and I've, I've tried over the years to uh, as, as school allows and as time allows and you know to take the kids especially the older ones so far uh, on various trips and these kids have been everywhere and got to do all kinds of cool things but, but Brent was about three and I thought okay I think he can handle a trip with me. I'm talking about like getting on an airplane, flying all that and I lived in Los Angeles, California at the time and so that day came, and of course, I did not tell Brent one minute before I had to. Because if you say things like, hey, buddy, we're going to go on a trip next week, he's going to ask you every 13 seconds. <laughs> you know, so I didn't tell him until that day. It was a Saturday morning. And we, I had, we'd already had his little, his, little, his little, I think it was a car's backpack, a rolling car's back. We'd already had it packed, ready to go. I went into his bedroom that morning. I said, hey, buddy, guess what? This week you're going with me, and he was pumped. We jumped. He jumped out of bed. We jumped in the truck. We saw Angie. Actually, was with me because uh, I don't know if I, maybe Adrian was there too. I don't remember. But but Angie was there because she she basically dropped us off at the airport, and we stopped off at Starbucks on the way down uh, to get a coffee. And we're we're pulling around, ordered ordered the coffee drink, pulled up to the window. Brent is sitting right directly behind me in his car seat, and 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 his the windows are down. We're just kind of talking, and the Starbucks guy. Uh, uh, leans out the window takes my card and looks right at Brent and goes hey bud what are you doing today and he looks right at him and goes I'm flying with my dad and he was so excited and then the guy took my card and looked at Brent and said where are you going and I'll never forget this because I am you know how it is you're you're watching the guy talk to your son. I'm looking in the rearview mirror, watching his reactions. I look in the rearview mirror, and when the guy said, where are you going, he was looking at the guy, and as soon as he asked it, he just went, <laughs> and, he, and he looked right at me with a very serious, all of a sudden, it was all serious. It was like, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. So I looked in the rearview I said, hey, buddy, we're, today we're going to Atlanta. So he looked over and said. We're going to Atlanta. And they looked back at me and I said, yeah, we're we're going to go to the aquarium when we get to Atlanta. Oh, and so he, now he's talking through me, through him. So his assurance came, knowing he had to go somewhere, but when he didn't know where he was going, it didn't really matter, because at the end of the day, I had all the answers that he needed. Yep. And then we show up at the second largest airport in the in the United States of America and in, in North America, really. And there's all these there's seven humongous terminals at Los Angeles International Airport. It's just a zoo of activity. And I've been there like every week of my life for eight years. It wasn't like it was a big deal to me. I go there all the time. But I walked out. I got my bag, I got Brent's bag, grabbed a hold of his hand. He has no idea what terminal, he has no idea what airplane, he doesn't know the number, he doesn't know the gate, he doesn't know the airplane, the, the plane, the call number, like Southwest Airlines flight, he did not know any of that. He doesn't even know the name of the airport where we're going. He doesn't know how we're going to get from the airport to the hotel to the church when we get there. He doesn't know any of that, but he didn't have to. Why? Because all he had to do was reach up, hold my hand, and I led and walked him through every single step, every encounter, checked him in, God is. back va- y'all hear me? Got his bag checked in. I knew where I was going. I knew how to get there. And I knew what I was going to do when I had all the plans already made. And that's the assurance of God to you as you go. I'm there. You don't have to worry about it all. You don't have to worry about how it's going to go. You don't even have to know all the ultimate destinations of everything. But here's what you can know. I'm with you. And when you know he's with you, that's really all that matters. So go. Go in the power of Jesus' name. Go with the burden of the mission behind you, and go with the assurances that Jesus Christ is with you every step of the way as you go, but by all means, go. Go. Let's go ahead and pray if we could. Now, you very easily could be here today and not be a disciple of Jesus. I understand that. I recognize there are people that walk in these doors every week that may not know him as Savior. That's why we're here. We want to, first of all, help you become a follower of Jesus Christ. That begins as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, as you call upon his name for salvation. You take the first step on the journey of faith. And that step... Is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible tells you you do that by asking Him, by faith. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it says. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise, it's an assurance from God. So what do you do? You take Him at His word, ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. Then you begin to follow him every step of the way. So today I want to encourage you, if you've never taken that first step of obedience, asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that you would do that today. Several did last Sunday, here and in Spanish church. Now I'm asking you, would you be willing and need to make that decision right here? So if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, but today you recognize he's the Lord of the universe, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead for me, and I believe in him and I want to follow him, then why don't you right here and right now just accept him in your heart as your savior by asking him and praying to him. Now I'm going to help you do that. I've helped many people over the years make this decision in their life. So in in there, in the quietness of your seat, either inside your heart or verbally, just pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me. Now I'm not going to save you, the prayer doesn't save you, but Jesus does. This is the way that Jesus has asked you to ask him. So you can do something like this. Just right there, right now in your heart, just pray these words. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I cannot save myself. But I believe that you died and you rose again from the dead. And I believe you are the only hope of my salvation. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. You know, if you're in your seat today and you prayed that prayer in a minute, I know you're glad you did. I know I'm glad you did. But I wonder if there's anybody in this room today that say, Preacher, I, look, I came to church. I didn't really know for sure that Jesus was my Savior and heaven was my home. But today, I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. I thank God for this. And Preacher, I just want you to know, I accepted Jesus as my Savior today. And I'm not ashamed of that. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? Would you do that? Just lift your hand up. Praise the Lord. Who else? Just lift your hand right up, then lower it right back down. I'll I'll be praying for you and help you any way that I can. That's exciting. That's exciting. Church, I'm not going to drag this out, but I do want to tell you, the Great Commission is our responsibility. It's our responsibility. It is our job. It's your job. It's my job. I've got to be able to be looking around me and seeing there are people that I'm leading toward the gospel, through the gospel, in the gospel. I pray you'll take this challenge today to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And let's pray about that today. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity that is ours to hear the word of God. Thank you for loving us. And for... being there for us. And I pray we will be on mission as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.